Hello, hello, and welcome to the Gardner Carney Leadership Institute podcast. The GCLI has developed the pedagogy of leadership, which combines brain science, leadership studies, cultural competency, and developmental psychology. Its mission is to teach teachers to teach leadership to students. This is your go-to podcast for discussions, tips, and stories for leadership and leadership education. And I am your host, Catherine Birdie, but please call me Birdie. Our world is in dire need of people just like you, people who are committed to building communities of leaders, young and old. So let's get busy leading the next generation of leaders, and thank you for joining us. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Gardner Carney Leadership Institute podcast. We have a treat in store for you today. Today's guest is the one and only Dr. Katherine Steiner Adair. Welcome to the podcast, Katherine. Thank you, Bertie. It's great to be here with you. I'm so happy to have you here. I always am intrigued by your your stories and your experience that you bring to the GCLI and your wisdom and kind candor are two of the many things I love about you. So I'm so excited to share you with our audience today. For our listeners who may not be familiar with your work at the GCLI, can you quickly tell us uh, what your role is and how you serve the GCLI? Oh, sure. Well, first, let me just say it is one of the highlights of my year. And it drives my family nuts that I continue to do it because I'm always there on my birthday. So. That's right. That's right. So let me say, start with that. So here's how I understand my role at GCLI. I walk in as uh, wearing several hats. I am a clinical psychologist. So I really um, hang out with kids in the trenches and teachers in the trenches and their parents, um, really looking at the issues everybody's struggling with. Uh, heads of schools, boards as well. So I bring a psychological lens. I'm an educator. I started my career many, many moons ago as a school psychologist at Phillips Academy Andover, and I have been long-term consultants to several schools in the country, and I spend most of my time actually visiting schools throughout the year, where I work with kids and faculty and parents and uh, leadership teams on the relationship between mental health, well-being, learning, and school culture. I am a researcher. I just stepped down after 40 years at both Harvard Ed and Harvard Med School. So when I go to schools, one of my favorite things to do is do research for the schools to let them know what's going on with their kids. Uh, And I am an author. The research I did when smartphones came out led to my writing a popular book, you know, meaning popular press, not for Harvard Med or Teachers College, called The Big Disconnect, Protecting Childhood and Family Relationships in the Digital Age. And that was the first deep dive on the psychological, educational, neurocognitive, and family impact of smartphones and technology. And that was in 2013. And I learned a phrase from the publishing industry. It's called Evergreen. The book is Evergreen. Actually, it just sold to China. So now it's in, I don't know, seven or eight languages. I don't keep track. But um, so so that's how I first, that's what I brought to GCLI. What wowed me when I finally went there for the first time, actually as a guest speaker, was that I had done my best professional training through experiential learning. And I love the intensive lab. It's because in my own development, 
um, I would go every other year to uh, a week long or if I could find it, you know, even longer kind of deep dive where I knew not only would I learn content, but I would change as a person. Mm-hmm. So that's why I sacrificed my birthday. <laughs> my family so because it's, so, <laughs> it's so rewarding. And I'll, you know, to work with you and the team, I, you know, the other thing is I mean, our colleagues there are just outstanding. I mean, it's, it's it, phenomenal. It, so it's a treat it really for me, is. you know, to, it, to be the, the grandma on the team and, and come in and work with y'all. Oh, it's, it really is. I think, you know, when I, I read the, the reviews and the evaluations, but, and it, I really do think, um, you know, we, we bring such rich content, but we, we bring um, an authenticity, I hope, to mm-hmm. the process that I think really encourages others to, to, to be themselves as well. And I think that just, um, I think that's the part of the secret sauce to the GCLI mm-hmm. is that we, um, I think just being on a team where I can be my complete self is yeah. such a gift. And I, I thank you and each of the other faculty members for that, that gift. Well, so, okay, so you travel widely, mm-hmm. coast to coast, consulting with schools. And I, I think it's safe to say that COVID was more than a, a, a bump in the road. Um, yes. You have, you have seen what's going on. You saw it during COVID. Um, you consulted then and now. What, um, what is the status quo, in your opinion, about how we are, um, how schools are doing um, to kind of pick up the pieces after being remote for most schools um, and coming mm-hmm. back into the classroom? I know we're seeing a lot about learning gaps, but, but what else are we seeing? And what, what do you, what's your take on all that? <laughs> well, I'll go back to what you said about being our authentic selves. I think one of the hardest things for faculty, teachers, and students was it's really hard to be your authentic self on Zoom. And I think one of the things that we know about how we learn and how we grow, both as educators and learners, students, is it's in the context of relationships. And by far the best relationships are live in Devo. And I think, you know, that's also part of the secret sauce at GCLI. We are creating a container where we, everybody is encouraged to be vulnerable, to take risks, to just stumble and say the wrong thing and know you'll be cheered, you know, for, for trying. And that there's no judgment. And I think kids have lost their faith in that kind of connection because they weren't able to have it. And it's no fault of teachers at all. And I think teachers are now more hesitant to bring their more authentic selves to the classroom because of the political moment in this country, as well as their own, you know, healing from whatever they have experienced in their own families of, you know, circumstances through COVID, but also through George Floyd, also through this current crisis of, of faith in our country and the dysfunctional democracy we're in is having a powerful tampdown on people's creativity, their risk-taking in the context of good relationships. And I think that's one of the biggest losses we've seen. Yes, there are cognitive losses. There are developmental losses. There are social skill losses. There are physical ability to sit still and, and pay attention. You cannot develop your capacity for singular focus, deep dive attention when all your learning is going on soon. 
So those are those are all combining to make school challenging for a lot of people. The fear I hear in teachers of being afraid to do or say the wrong thing is so understandable to me because I think the other unfortunate aspect of the uh, social media impact on education is that there's horrible trash talking about schools and teachers and administrators and leaders online and the uh, quick call out cancel culture is very real and very scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's horrifying. And yeah, I think it's, you know, it's not, it's not a governor anymore for kind of questioning decisions and choices. It's a, it's a a way to really suppress authenticity and and vulnerability. I really, you're right. Wow. I never even thought thought of that. Mm -hmm. I've encouraged schools that I've been working with to put in their parent handbook, uh, a statement about that, that part of being a member of our community is bringing concerns you have about anything that's happening at school directly to school and not posting it online because we want, you know, there are all sorts of obviously very positive ways to do that, which you want to do. But if you put it in your handbook, it's a smart thing to do because then if parents do do that, you have more leverage in having a either restorative conversation with them or, you know, if it's really ugly, just saying this isn't working. You're not holding up your side of the contract that what it means to be a member of our community and our ethical code of caring here. So there are ways to respond to that, that I'm encouraging schools to do more and more because I don't like the anonymity of hate and how it's supported online, neurologically as well as socially. What are some of the neurological um, deficits that you're seeing right now? Um, I would say, aside from (laughs) magnetizing to trash online on social media sites and getting really sucked into stupid stuff on TikTok, um, the algorithms are designed to draw you five times more quickly to negative content across the board. And that's true whether kids are talking about somebody in their homeroom or their advisory or um, things people are posting online or who they're following. And we need to do a much better job of helping our students um, take healthier ownership and actually sort of appeal to their sense of social justice about how they're being manipulated by some of the the negative stuff on social media. Um, And at the same time, I think it's really exciting for students to have some kind of capstone project in middle school and then again in high school where they are using social media to do something that, you know, makes the world a better place to, in our, in the way we think about it, GCLI, leadership education. I mean, what a fabulous opportunity for leadership education for every student. It's not about position. It's about bringing your empathy and your understanding of a conflict or a situation or a problem that needs to be solved and really being um, thorough and well-grounded and and articulate about why it matters to you and standing up for something. Mm. I love that. In there, I heard, um, you know, I, I think we're so, I can be so binary anyway, I'll speak for myself, about the use of social media in my home. 
and with my two children, um, you know, it's, it's bad. Don't do it. Stay off of it. Um, but it's a necessary evil now. And you speak to something. I'd love to hear a little bit more about ways that we can really encourage them to use. I know you just said use it in a positive way, but what are some of those, um, what are some other good examples of how we can encourage students and, and actually as adults too, well, I'm speaking again, speaking for myself, how can mm-hmm. I use social media and uh, screens a little bit more productively and less harmfully? Um, I, you know, some of the, the, the exciting things I see at schools are um, where middle schoolers are creating apps and really learning about what goes into creating an app and designing an app to do something that will make life better for people somewhere. Um, girls at Hamlin School, for example, in Pacific Heights in San Francisco get the chance to do that. And, and they're, you know, they're middle school students who are doing deep dives into how to change the world with their own vision of what needs uh, help. And I think that's a beautiful thing. The hardest thing for everybody is to get off the social media sites where the algorithms are designed and they make tons of money off of keeping you on. So, you know, why do you have TikTok? Why do you have YouTube, you know, as a as something that you go to all the time? Either set timers, <laughs> use tech to outsmart tech, but be really careful. You know, do you have to check Facebook every day? Why? You know, if, if you have a favorite person who does stories, okay, check their stories, but cut it off after that. I think it requires enormous self-regulation. And the easiest thing to do is to ask yourself over and over, why am I doing this? Is it making me feel better? Is it enriching my life? Am I wasting my time? What could I be doing that I'm not doing? And, and clean up, you know, as they say, wash your Facebook, you know, clean up and delete some of the things you do that are time sucks. You know, I mean, I am constantly having to hit that unsubscribe button, which drives me nuts, you know, and um, for all the stuff that just comes in my email and I have pretty good, you know, protection set up. It's annoying and it seems easier either to ignore it or to, not delete it, and I'm guilty of both. But I do find my life is better when I try and eliminate all that stuff because it's very tempting. Oh, it's hard I mean, to deal with the temptation. It is such a time suck, and I, you know, I can, you know, I can set a timer, I can unsubscribe, and then it just they, I get sucked in, and they find me mm-hmm. again and again. They they yep. have, I mean, it's constantly having to unsubscribe. Okay, so setting timer unsubscribe. What else? Don't keep your phone with you. Yeah. Don't take your phone with you. I don't take my phone out to dinner. I don't take my phone on walks. I don't take my phone in a lot of places now. It's really liberating. Um, Sometimes one of us, it's great. And you know, if I'm going out to dinner with Fred, we do not both need to keep our phones on. And we have different ringers set for our kids. So we know if it's our kids, and, you know, the, the, the hardest thing is to get over 
the psychological dependency we have on our phones. We panic when we don't have our phones with us. We experience some kind of separation anxiety. And that's so new. And we really have to understand the impact that has on the quality of your life. I have come to love leaving my phone behind. When I'm painting, I turn my phone off. When I'm doing work, I turn my phone off. I sometimes I only, you know, I try not to even bring it into my painting studio because if it's there, I might want to check it. You know, that, that um, all the research that says just the presence of your phone, just the presence of your phone in your backpack, in your pocketbook, on your desk, on the dinner table will make you experience some kind of niggling anxiety or make you think, oh, should I just check? I'm just checking. You know, that's the phrase little kids hate the most when their parents say, oh, hold on, honey, I'm just going to check because we dive into our phone and we lose the moment. So for me, mindfulness, <laughs> mindfulness is so important and it's so diluted. You know, it's just become, oh, we'll be mindful. Well, mindfulness means don't bring your phone. Don't use it. Shut down your computer. Shut the screen down when you are in a conversation with somebody. So you're looking at them, not looking at your screen, sort of and toggling back and forth. Uh, yes. And and then just like when back to the anxiety that I've seen in students with social media, I mean, it is like they are mm -hmm. living two lives, one mm -hmm. online where they have to curate this perfect life. And then another in real time where relationships are diluted and they don't know who they are because it will never meet that perfect picture of what they have curated online. Um, yep. What is going on cognitively between those two selves? Oh, um, the part of your brain that craves random stimulation, it's like the gambling part of your brain, will crave your phone and that part of your brain will dampen your ability to stay present in the moment. Mm. So, so that's why... I encourage schools and more and more schools are banning phones from the schoolhouse. I mean, you have to wonder, why do you need a phone in school? And the research on having a phone in the classroom, unless, you know, obviously if you need it for academic reasons, but there's very, there's not a whole lot of learning that needs to be done with a, a company by a phone, but there is some and it's good and that's okay. But, you know, phones in the whole time, in past time, undermine what was previously taught because it deletes the most recent things you were trying to download into your long-term memory. Mm -hmm. And of course, when you're on your phone in the hallway, you are looking at stuff which is emotionally disruptive. <laughs> and then you go into your next class thinking about what you just saw and wanting to go back on and wanting to respond and yada, yada. So the schools that have just said, okay, let, let's just not have phones be part of school because that's not why we're here. We're not here to go on SMS. We can talk to our friends. We can text after school. Those, those schools are reporting such healthier uh, mental health and engagement and learning that I'm just hoping more and more schools will experiment with it you know don't go to cold turkey do an experiment try it for three weeks see what happens um, and get your kids on board get them in charge of the study that's the best way to do it. that's what i love to help schools do teach the kids the research say okay you're yeah. the boss of your school your climate your brain what do you want to do let's design a study 
let's do a little field research to see what this is like if you you know didn't have phones in the cafeteria if you couldn't be on your phone in the hallways let's just all be cultural anthropologists and see how we feel after I love it's really it. fun I love it's it really fun okay well you have given us so many things to think about. I would love to have you back on uh, as a regular Happy guest. To the Tell slew. us more, more <laughs> tips and tricks. Tips and tricks. Sure. Right there. Um, but you know, as always, your wisdom is truly valuable and will help us all every day. So um, with that, um, thank you for keeping us on the straight and narrow and being on the podcast. <laughs> oh, thanks, Brady. <laughs> Anything with GCLI and you is always a pleasure. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank y'all for joining us today, and we'll see you in two weeks' time. Until then, visit us at gcliadership.org and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You'll find all of our links at the bottom of our podcast. And until then, lead on. <laughs>